What's up, guys? Ryan Horn here, and welcome to the Extraordinary Man Podcast. This is the one and only podcast specifically designed to help married businessmen create more profit and purpose in their business without sacrificing their family, health, or marriage in the process. Each week, I interview some of the world's most extraordinary men, including seven- and eight-figure entrepreneurs, elite athletes, best-selling authors, and world-class speakers. Today, I'm going to be interviewing Nissan Trotter. Nissan is a sought-after motivational speaker, widely known as the fitness preacher. His life attests to the fact that that your gifts can take you anywhere. He has been serving in ministry over 20 years, and upon graduating as a first-generation college student from Bucknell University, his professional career started as an investment advisor turned higher ed fundraiser. He took a leap of faith by leaving a comfortable paying career to pursue his dreams of becoming a fitness entrepreneur. His success in the fitness industry garnered national and international attention and route to winning the Fitness Business Summit Personal Trainer of the Year Award. He's been madly in love with his beautiful bride, Jarellis, for over a decade, and he's on a nonstop cheek-kissing mission with his three little boys, Onesimus, Osias, and Omarius. And I briefly met Nissan back in March 2015 at the Fitness Business Summit. He spoke on stage and it left a lasting impact on me, and we've been friends on Facebook ever since, and he's been kind of like this role model and, and big brother from afar that occasionally I'd see his Facebook posts and videos and, and be inspired. So it's so cool to, six years later, have you on my podcast. Nissan, welcome to the show. It's so great to have you on. How are you doing? Wow, I'm doing fantastic, especially after those words, man. That warms my heart, Ryan. I'm extremely appreciative of this opportunity. To God be the glory for the great things he has done. I'd be absolutely nothing without him. But I'm thankful that I left an impression on you and that you've invited me on your show. Absolutely. So great to have you here. So I would love if you could tell us about your backstory. Like what was life growing up for you and how did you end up becoming a first generation college graduate? Sure. Life for me growing up was very, very interesting, especially coming from Alabama, which is where I was born and raised, a small little town called Silver Hill, Alabama, which is sandwiched in between Mobile, Alabama and Pensacola, Florida, right on the Gulf Coast. And it's an interesting dynamic in that area in and of itself because you have beautiful flat green space and then you have the beach area and then you also have the metropolitan area of the cities of Pensacola, Florida, and Mobile, Alabama. So it's an interesting dynamic. In the Bible Belt, you know, it's, it's pretty segregated to me in, in a certain sense of the Black folks are kind of pretty much all coupled together. The white folks are pretty much all coupled in their space. But that's where I grew up and I absolutely love uh, where I'm from. Really, One of the most interesting things that happened to me as a child is growing up in Alabama in the mid 80s, my mom and dad were like the Jay-Z and the Beyonce of the hood (laughs) because no one had never, ever really seen a minority couple from at least where I'm from do it quite like them. They started their own entrepreneurial endeavor as nothing more than newspaper chuckers. They partnered with uh, the local press 
and uh, they would just deliver newspapers. That, that was their side, uh, that, not necessarily their side hustle, that was their thing more so. And they stacked their money, they stacked their chips, interesting enough, and they were able to build a home from the ground up. And uh, I mean, I'm talking about, I remember the slab being laid, the concrete that is, I remember the the foundation i can remember the siding the blue siding of that home i mean it was a big ordeal because i mean you just didn't see minority couples with their own entrepreneurial endeavor um, throwing newspaper newspaper chuckers i call it you know nothing fancy at all uh in fact i can remember on a number of occasions my mom would wake my brother and i up so early in the morning to take us on her paper route with her. She'd make a bed in this little Nissan. No, no pun intended, by the way. By the way, Nissan <laughs> should be paying me a commission because I was around when it was uh, called, like I was born when it was called Datsun uh, for, for my car lovers out there. Uh, so my name is with one S, Nissan. The car is with two S's. But anyway, she would stack us up in that little like orange, Oranges looking, it was actually a Datsun, it wasn't a, a Nissan. Uh, and she would make our, our, our bed with the pillows and the little king cap. And I can remember it would be so er early in the morning, dark. We she'd be throwing papers out the window, it'd be kind of cold because she had to let like roll the windows down the manual, rolling the windows down. Some folks know what I'm talking about with that. And then we would just go from like one house to the next. And then she would get us ready for school in the morning, send us off. That was very much routine. So I was on route with my mom and then sometimes my dad as well. I mean, they were just hard workers. So it came as no consequence that they were able to build a home from the ground up uh, with not even the fanciest of job titles. Uh, and so one early morning, I am in... Uh, this fun game, my all-time favorite game with my mom that I'm playing with my brother too, my younger brother, hide and go seek. I just get chill sometimes thinking about hide and go seek. <laughs> and the, the home was dimly lit. My mom goes to counting. One, two, three. My brother and I, we scamper off to our favorite spots in the home. Probably some of the most obvious of places. You know how kids can hide in some of the most obvious of places because we were only like five maybe years old. I was. My brother was probably four at the time. And I can remember even having these little hard marbles that I would place on this plush new carpet in our brand new home. Uh, hoping that as she would try to find us, she would hurt her feet stepping on those marbles. But then she eventually finds us, of course. And then later on in this hide-and-go-seek game, I see my mom kind of in the bathroom, and she's sort of crying, if you will. And, and she's saddened. And I don't understand because this is you know, the fun time of my life right now. We, we just finished playing hide-and-go-seek, and I don't understand what the issue is. And she pulls us to the side with tears in her, her face, and she says, boys, I have to have you settle down. I need to tell you something serious your father and I were getting a divorce. And bam, just like that, it just seemed like I went from a very high high to a very low low. And I realized that things were getting ready to change immediately. And uh, like my life was just altering just like that because my dad 
my hero. I, I looked up to my dad. I think that he's fantastic and I love him uh, for who he is. And I'm realizing that probably not going to be spending as much time with dad as I had hoped. Uh, and, and so we went to get to your question, your other question that you asked, we went from uh, having a, a beautiful home to, and my mom was also pregnant at the time, to now transitioning into my grandmother's house. And my grandmother had 10 kids. And so we didn't even have our own rooms. We, we didn't have enough space really. My family of four basically moved all of our things in the single back bedroom of my grandmother's house. And I also immediately adopted the role of being the leader of my household because my, my dad's no longer in the picture while living in the single back bedroom. Uh, and and I, I believe that that leadership mantle that I took on, and it was hard. I had my moments, I was angry, I was frustrated like any kid would be. I didn't understand what was happening, what was going on. So realizing that Nissan, you, you're just gonna have to blaze the trail. And now, now hindsight is 2020, and, and these are the things is, that I'm coming to realize today, even as an adult, is that I, I have to pioneer some things. Uh, and even though my grandmother had a lot of children, um, I was the first, I, I am a first generation college student uh, from a large family. I think it speaks to the fact of some of the, the trauma that I've been through, Ryan, and how I've been able to, to grow through that and still be a leader because I do believe that leaders are developed in dark places. Wow, thank you so much for sharing that story. That's, that's really incredible. So let's fast forward a little bit. So how and why did you get started in the world of entrepreneurship? I don't know if it was necessarily as intentional as I would have thought. It'd be because I went to school to major in business and minor in economics. Uh, uh, after marrying my significant other, Jarellis, and she's seen some of my maybe disgruntledness with my gym experience versus her gym experience. Uh, she was known as the Zumba queen of the area. And I was the classic meat head, if you will. I would just throw in my earbuds, go to the, the gym and, and work out. And I, I wasn't as enthused as my wife after she would lead a Zumba session and have a big following, et cetera. So one day, unbeknownst to me, Jarellis purchases about $500 worth of personal training material, sat it on my lap, and was pretty much like, you need to become a personal trainer. And I'm like, you're on to something. I, it, it was shocking that she would do something like that, but she's seen obviously something in me. And that kind of started my entrepreneurial endeavor. That, th that this is something I think I should be pursuing. Now, at the time I was working for my alma mater in development work, doing fundraising. And one day, uh, leap day, leap year, actually, I took a leap of faith and, and I was really typing on my computer. I was probably low key daydreaming. I don't know, working out on an Excel spreadsheet. Uh, maybe I was even working on a workout because I was, I was 
trying to get my personal training swag, if you will. And then I, I just felt this impression on my heart. It was Ryan literally as if I heard this voice audibly whisper, why are you still here? I'm talking about it scared like the socks off of my feet. It's not out of my nose. I scampered down three flights of stairs because I was working on the third floor of my office building, an old little red brick building, beautiful building. And then I, I go into the bathroom after I'm on the first floor. I'm like pacing back and forth in this bathroom. Uh, and then I, I see the water faucet here and, and I, I turn it on. I douse my face with water, look myself in the mirror and ask myself, did I really just feel that? Did I really just hear that? Why am I, why are you still here? I'm telling you, it, it was like God really spoke from heaven in that moment. So I go back up my three flights of stairs into my office, call my wife on the phone. She actually worked for Bucknell University as well as I did. And I told her, babe, it's time. And she knew exactly what I was referring to. In fact, she was prompting me to do this anyway. She probably didn't think that it would come so soon. But uh, February 29, 2012, leap day of leap year, I took a leap of faith and I turned to my resignation at Bucknell University. And that's when I became a full-time fitness entrepreneur. I haven't looked back since. <laughs> Incredible story. Wow. Talk about getting a sign, right? Yeah. Not, not only your wife and then actually hearing those words. That's incredible. I would love to know because every entrepreneur goes through struggles at some point. What are some things that you've gone through and how did you handle them? And maybe even what was the transition like? Sure. I'm a decade long, thankfully, fitness entrepreneur. I feel like a decade in anything. You know, you have experiences that you go through, certain things that you learn. You have a whole lot of highs and lows. One of the things that I've learned about entrepreneurship is that it is one of the biggest roller coaster rides I think you ever want to be on. But hopefully, the roller coaster ride as you ride it, it trends upwards, if that makes sense. Like it's, it's not a constant downward spiral, but it's a roller coaster ride going upwards when you're living in your passion and when you're living in your pursuits. Well, some of the things that I've learned is that we probably overestimate what we can do in one year and underestimate what we can accomplish in five years. Because this is just a long game. This is a, a game to me that we play. And, and if the game is labeled infinity, here's what I've learned. You'll never lose if you simply never stop. Like the, the stick-to-itiveness of this is what now at this point I'm in it for. I, I, for me, I, I'm curious, sometimes I've learned, like at, at first initially, uh, sure, I wanted to, to, to help uh, clients and I still do. I wanna see transformations. I, I, I love the thrill of being able to see somebody change, not just externally, but internally as well. But also I'm just intrigued about the character development in me too. So I've learned that for every day that I do this, it's a notch in my belt. Every year that I do it is a notch in my belt. And I'm just curious, how long can I keep this going despite this roller coaster that it feels uh, to be sometimes? 
oh man, I could go on and on about the lessons that uh, being an entrepreneur has, has taught me. It's taught me to sometimes it's best to under promise and over deliver as opposed to over promising, over delivering, sometimes under promise just to, to be safe and sure that you can do it, but then go above and beyond. But then sometimes I feel that you should over promise too to, 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 and then over deliver on the over promise so that it pushes you to a new level of service, a new level of, of value that you're offering folks. Gosh, Ryan, do you want me to continue? I can just keep going and going. I think, I think you know, that's a loaded question, man. You just stop me at any point in time. <laughs> it is a loaded question. You're, you're absolutely correct about that. And I agree with everything that you've said so far. Being an mm -hmm. entrepreneur for almost a decade myself, mm -hmm. I, can, I can definitely say you're 100% correct on that. Yeah, so maybe you could give us just just a couple more little nuggets. Sure, I, I, I will. I love the words of Dave Ramsey out of his book, Entre Leadership. He says, when things are going well, you're not as good as you think you are. And when things are going bad, you're not as bad as you think you are. So a lot of times entrepreneurship for me is how well can you be even killed? Can you still look at the account and the revenue that you're generating and have a level of security when the numbers are high and an equal level of security when those numbers are low. Sometimes that's what entrepreneurship means. Entrepreneurship also is like a gut punch. I think Gary Vee said that one <laughs> and everybody doesn't have abs to take it. So when it's like that and it feels like a gut punch, the resiliency, the bounce back, whether it is a client who's disgruntled whether it is a session for us in our case that has just gone completely wrong and off script and, and it, it, it wasn't what you thought it would be, whether it is an employee who unexpectedly leaves and now you, you are having to take on sessions, whatever it is, when that gut punch happens, how quickly are you able to bounce back from it? Th those are some other lessons I would say uh, I've learned through entrepreneurship. And also too, I would say this, I would say that you entrepreneurship, you got into it for the freedom that it provides, but real entrepreneurship is also being able to provide jobs for others so that you can really have that freedom uh, and provide opportunities for others so that you can really have that freedom too. Because if, if that isn't the case, then you pretty much just gave yourself a job. Uh, and, and you become enslaved to what you created. I think real entrepreneurship is being able to, uh, for the business, not only to exist when you're not in it, but also to grow when you're not there as well. And so these are the things that I've learned about, about this game. So much good stuff, Nissan. Wow. Yeah. I, I think one of the things that you said that really stands out to me is, is being even keeled because you're hundred percent right. It is like a roller coaster. You never know one day you might be up one day you might be down, but being able to, to stay even keeled despite what's going on, I think is, is one of the best skills that you can have as an entrepreneur for sure. Mm -hmm. So I know a few years ago, you wrote a book called born gifted and I haven't read it, but I have read through the preview of it on Amazon. Cool. It looks amazing. Thank I would you. love if you can share a little bit about what is the book about and you know, mm -hmm. what are 
some top takeaways from it. Sure. Absolutely. By the way, if you're not a hard copy type of person, or if you just want to, to listen to it on audible, I, you can speed control that bad boy. And it'll be like drinking from a fire hose, tons of nuggets, Ryan, and I sound like a chipmunk on it. I love Audible for speed control. If you, if you have an Audible account, I also narrate it on Audible. That's just for you and also our listeners as well. That's awesome. Yeah. The question in terms of some of the nuggets in Born Gifted, again, it's, it's sort of like a loaded question as well. And I love it because it gives me the freedom to kind of answer it in any way I choose. So you're very good at this, Ryan. Very good. Uh, I, I would say some of my favorite nuggets in Born Gifted really stems from my own personal story. And that's where it derived from this whole idea of being born gifted, how to unwrap the gifts inside you for supernatural success is the subtitle. And one of my most life altering moments occurred when I was around middle school. I was verbally bullied in middle school for the way that I sounded. And, and I don't even think the kids who were doing it knew how searing it was to me because kids in elementary and the school bus culture, all of that stuff, sometimes they be flat out ruthless because people are just trying to, to learn more about themselves and the world that we live in. And, and it doesn't always go so well when you're young and you're in, in such close proximity with each other. So, School for me, middle school years, weren't my favorite times. I did not like school because I was being bullied for the way that I sounded. I had this like raspy voice and pre-puberty voice. And folks were great as they took their jabs at me for how I sounded. During recess, during PE, some of my quote unquote friends would huddle around in circles and take their turns mimicking my voice and they were pretty good at it too but it, it 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 made me want to go in the fetal position in a in the dark corner of the room and kind of hide because i did not like the way that i sounded I, I thought that they were good as they took their jabs at me and i was the mockery of that time and it went from that to my middle school teacher by the name of Miss Susan Melton. Shout out to Mrs. Melton. We love talking about this story. She was like a bleach blonde, uh, chubby cheeks. She would wear the, the pink lipstick, kind of short in stature. And one day she decided to approach me to enter into this school oratorical speech competition. Now, mind you, I was living another world at home. She knew nothing about, I don't think. My mom would hand me the longest Easter speeches she could find so that I would recite them in front of the church during the Easter plays at church verbatim. And she would, she would be my speech coach, even though I don't think she was fully aware. Mom, they're picking, me at, picking at me at school for the way my voice sounds. And here you are uh, acting as if I hired you as my speech coach. And you are having me recite these long speeches in church. And she would be like, eyes up, son. You sound monotone. Use your hand gestures. Say it this way. Uh, move around. I'm talking about she would be coaching me in this little beat up kitchen in my grandmama's house that we had moved into in front of this old stove and uneven floors. And, 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 and I would be drilled. 
She was acting as if I was the next Martin Luther King Jr. trying to deliver his people from freedom. You know, that's how she was coaching me. Mind you, this was my world at home. I don't think Miss Susan Melton knew this. My world uh, uh, um, in school was being bullied for my voice, but Miss Susan Melton put me in this speech competition. And now the same people who were bullying me in school were now listening to me from a podium and I'm giving them the business because of everything my mom had taught. And then also because of Miss Susan Melton's belief in me. So sometimes you gotta believe in other people's belief in you until your belief kicks in. And here I am, I'm, my speech is entitled, I still remember it to this day. I'm talking about this is decades later. It was called Never Give Up. I even quoted the great, great Winston Churchill who said, never give up, never give up, never give up. And I would be pointing out into the crowd. Now, now this, is, this is kind of probably like perplexing to the people listening to me. They didn't know, Ryan, I had this type of juice because they were picking at me for my voice. And now it goes from them picking at me and being my haters to being my admirers. And that was so, what was so really cool about it. And, and, and so I, I use that story as catalyst and as the, the, all, like the, the precipice that got me to, wow, I have a gift. I have a gift to speak and, and use my words to inspire people. How did I get to this place to now where at one point folks mocked me for my voice? Now people pay me to speak and I'm able to inspire a generation because of how I speak. How did I get here? And so I use my story and content from my story. I also have uh, looked into uh, folks who have just done incredible things, awesome things, studied their stories because we're all attracted to awesomeness to figure out what makes them gifted. And for me, the nugget of the book, one of the biggest nuggets is so simple, you'll miss it if you aren't paying attention is the sheer belief that you're gifted. And because you can never discover your gift until you believe you have one. So I take people through this journey of believing they're gifted, that's phase one. Phase two is then discovering your gift. What are the tools and principles that you can uh, dispatch to discover your gift? And then after you discover your gift, the next thing is how do you take your gift to superstar status or that next level? And that's a lot of what Born Gifted is about. That is such a great story. I really love that story. So I know one thing that you talked about in the book was this concept of the three Fs. Could you yeah. just briefly explain what they are and why they're important? Absolutely. The three Fs are referring to fears, failure, and future. And all three of those are connected together. How can you use your fears manipulate them in a way to not stop you, but propel you forward? What do you do about your failures? And how do you understand like Zig Ziglar, failure is not a person, it's an event. And how will you learn from those fears and those failures to leverage your future to get to where you wanna be? Amazing, very well put. Thank you. So. As we talked about in, as I talked about in the beginning in your bio, you are a husband, you're a father. Yes. So how do you balance being an entrepreneur with a husband or a father? Yeah, I just simply don't believe that that's anything remotely possible for my life when it comes to balance. Because I look at balance like this. If, if we have 24 hours in a day, 
and we use a lot of those hours sleeping, let's say eight hours sleeping, that leaves us what another 16 hours, then how do we use those other 16 hours to really have balance? Like, like, does that mean, does balance mean that I have to spend equally the same amount of time in, in the areas of work, in the areas of family, in the areas of my own play? Because if so, there's just no way logistically to pull that off. So my idea is really, I, I think one of our coaches, Kira North said this, that balance is bogus. <laughs> and so I don't know uh, if I go to that stretch, but I certainly can connect to that. And I look at balance as this, setting up your life in a way to wherever your feet are, be there. And so when I, like Ryan, I have nothing else right now that I've dedicated my time to other than being on this podcast with you and being fully present. Wherever my feet are, I'm there. So whenever I go to the soccer game and it's my kid's soccer game, it's not a time for answering emails. It's not a time for taking a phone call for a new client. It's not a time for trying to book a new gig. It is cheering my son on coaching them in soccer. So that's my idea of balance and, and, and setting up your script. What I mean by script is I, I really literally have a daily script for the day that I follow. Thankfully, I have help and support there and my wife. At one point, we, we also were working with my assistant who, who set up my schedule to where I would just simply follow the script. And I still do so that wherever my feet are, I can be there and really be truly dedicated to that time when I'm in it. I'm not always the best at it. I promise you, I assure you. You know, I get a little twitch when that that ding or that notification goes off on my phone when I'm supposed to be spending family time. There are times that I'm, you know, we're watching a movie and I'm thinking about an email or responding to an email. So please uh, make no mistakes about it. I'm not perfect with this idea and this concept, uh, but that's my approach to balance. Nevertheless, I love the way you put that. And I completely agree. Being present with whatever you're doing, you know, if you're at your kid's soccer game, be present there. If you're at work, be present there and crush it. Because as an entrepreneur, it's so easy because if you wanted to, you could work 24 seven, right? So it's having those boundaries set up, I think is one of the biggest lessons I've learned as well. And I'm not perfect either, but it's very helpful to do that. So I know that you are a very successful entrepreneur and you have had coaches that have helped you along the way. So how have you been coached or mentored and how has that helped you? Oh, wow. It's played a, a vital role in so many different areas of my life. So many different areas of my life, like uh, a, a mutual contact that we have in Bedros uh, uh, partly inspired me to write a book. You know, he said, you, you have a book in you. And, you know, with the amount of fees that I've paid in coaching, if, if that's what a coach is telling you, then I got to I have to dig for that book and pull it out of me or else my investment in coaching is worthless. So a lot of times from a monetary standpoint, it has made made sense to me. It's made both sense and sense. (laughs) And and so I I feel that just real practically coaching from that standpoint has been very helpful. 
and some of the mentors that I've had, you know, I'll, I'll give, I'll juxtapose even what Bedros shared and you got a book in you to what Brian C. Johnson, Dr. Brian C. Johnson, who's another mentor of mine, has shared with me about the actual process of writing a book. So I, I use his expertise to, to uh, totally help me uh, write my book because I, I did not see how I could get it done. But once I recreated what he shared with me and, his, and I, I implemented his formula, now I'm a published author. So coaches for me, I've, I've, Ryan, I've always had a coach since Little League football, since as far back as I can remember. Because while you're looking down and in on your life, you're looking in it because you're very much in it, a coach has the ability to, uh, the ability to look up and outward and see the horizon and say, you can go there. I feel like you always need somebody who's strategizing for you and your successes when you're sleeping. To me, that's what a coach does. The great coaches do. Like you can hear about John Wood and Doc Rivers if you're a sports fan. And, and, and when you think about Phil Jackson and coaching Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan won championship after championship, what made them great, they'll tell you, was not just their own talent, but their coach. And here's the reason why. Because as much as Kobe worked and as God rest his soul, as hard as he worked, Still, Phil Jackson was in the film room, too, strategizing about how we can use your skill, Kobe, here. And, and, and there was moments where Kobe had to take off, but, but, but Phil Jackson was working. So I think a coach uh, provides that level of value. Yeah, I, I'm a big uh, believer in uh, hiring high-level coaches, and I've, I've, I've spent multiple tens of thousands of dollars. I'm well over that now. I, and I'm not saying this to sound braggadocious or by any stretch of the word, but it wouldn't uh, surprise me if I've spent over $100,000 in coaching. Yeah, I completely agree. I would definitely not be where I'm at today without coaches. It sounds like you wouldn't be either. Yeah. And yeah, I, I mean, having a coach in your life is so important. And not necessarily that you have to pay for a coach but right. in general when you pay for a coach you pay attention and usually yeah. <laughs> usually you get what you pay for right absolutely uh, because i know there's probably some listeners out there who are who are struggling and maybe wrestling with oh man should i hire a coach should i not it's so much money but really you got to look at it as an investment in your future and so thank you for sharing that yeah and if i could add to that too in terms of the expenses of it I do understand the friction there. Uh, I also believe to a certain degree, if you think it's expensive hiring a coach, try not having one. I think that's even more expensive, expensive in terms of what, what you're not able to accomplish should you have brought one on. Or if you try to do it on your own at amateur status, because I believe a number of coaches have bought me speed. You know, I've, I've paid for the speed of arrival to get there because I've learned from their wisdom. I've learned from their expertise and they've shared with me mistakes not to make because they've already been down that path. 
Yeah, that's a great way of putting it too. I was actually just going to mention that you pay for speed in a lot of cases. Like you can probably figure it out on your own, but do you want to take 10 years or six months? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's great. So last question for you, Nissan. Yeah. What is your definition of an extraordinary man? I love this question, Ryan. I wholeheartedly believe an extraordinary man is the one who's fulfilling their God-given purpose. And that is ever evolving because to to be God in his majestic ways and how powerful he is, he sets the stage. And we, we are, we are always in somewhat of a catch up mode to the plans and the purposes he has for us. But we, we feel alive when we are truly living in them. It almost feels as if it's a dream. You know, I, I'm a believer. I love Jesus. And I love, you know, in the Bible specifically, one uh, particular verse talks about many are the plans of a man's heart, but the Lord purpose prevails. And so to me, that just shares with you like how, how his plans, his purposes even trumps ours. And they are the ones that pre- prevail. Now we might be have these offshoots of routes that we're taking, but the purpose-driven man is on a quest to latch on to what God has prepared for them. I would have never imagined being a speaker. What? I was verbally bullied. I just told you. How in the world could I be in this place to where now people are 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 bringing me places to speak? That was the purpose God had for me. I mean, there's a level of of just peace in that, that the purpose-driven man, the the extraordinary man knows that that when I am on fire is when I'm mostly doing what I feel God has ordained me to do before I leave this place. Such good stuff. I totally agree. Fulfilling your God-given purpose. And you know what? It is ever changing because we only get one step at a time. And I never would have imagined that I would be hosting a podcast. And, you know, to speak to what you said about never imagining being a speaker, same for me. I remember college speech class. I was terrified. I hated it. I wanted it to be over. And now I host a podcast. I was just on someone's podcast the other day and I've done some speaking as well. Never would have imagined that I would do that or that I wanted to do that. But you know, as we're obedient and just doing the next right thing, the next thing that God puts in front of you, he's preparing us for a purpose that a lot of times we don't, we don't know what it's going to be ultimately. Right. No question. All right. Well, this has been amazing Nissan. And, you know, I'm sure people want to find out how they can go connect with you because you are an incredible guy and you've shared so much value. So where can people go to find out more about you or connect with you? Sure. I appreciate that. Folks can find me on the social medias on IG. Instagram is at N-I-S-A-N-R-P-M at Nissan RPM. Uh, that's my Instagram handle. I like doing fun stories. You, you'll probably have fun following me there. Uh, you can also go to www.nissantrotter.com. I have a series of videos. Uh, you can find the, my book on my website and learn more about me there on facebook is just nissan trotter and just remember my name is nissan n-i-s-a-n so just like the car mine is one s that's the story of my life 
And I would love to connect with anyone who is willing to follow me. So that's how to be in touch. Amazing. And as you guys can tell, Nissan is an incredible guy. He just, he's so generous. He loves giving value. And so definitely go connect with him. And this has been an absolute pleasure, Nissan. Thank you so much for taking time to be on the show. Oh, Ryan, you're the man. I'm extremely honored. And keep doing what you do, bro. I love it. Guys, thanks so much for joining me on another episode of the Extraordinary Man podcast. Do you want a free one-on-one business accelerator coaching call with me personally? Go to aoemen.simplecast.com and click on the free coaching tab at the top. I've specifically set aside five spots for listeners of this episode, and they're available on a first-come, first-served basis. Again, to take advantage of this exclusive and limited time offer, go to aoemen.simplecast.com now. Until next time, remember to go out there and become the man you were created to be. I'll see you on the next episode.